everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I'll be joined a little later by Ken Lavin and Thomas Henderson. Lucas, unfortunately, was not able to join us this week. But uh, the 2021 MLB draft, it took place last week. It was on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and we shared our feelings more or less in real time for the first 10 rounds of the draft. But, you know, time has a way of changing how you feel, uh, making you look at things from different angles, whatever else. So, you know, as we, we usually like to give our feelings in real time uh, immediately on draft night and then kind of come back and look at things and see how we feel having gotten some benefit of hindsight and, and more information and things like that. So just to go over everything quickly, well, not so quickly, really, to be honest. First, I just want to go over who the Mets actually picked. So first off, in the first round, they selected Kumar Rocker, right-handed pitcher out of Vanderbilt University. In the second round, they selected Calvin Ziegler, a right-handed pitcher out of St. Mary's Catholic um, Secondary School in Ontario, Canada. In the third round, they took Dominic Hamill, a right-handed pitcher, a senior out of Dallas Baptist University. In the fourth round, they selected J.T. Schwartz, a first baseman, a junior out of UCLA. In the fifth round, they selected Christian Scott, a right-handed pitcher out of the University of Florida, a junior. In the sixth round, they selected Carson Seymour, a senior, a right-handed pitcher out of Kansas State University. In the seventh round, they selected Kevin Kendall, a shortstop, a senior out of UCLA. In the eighth round, the Mets selected Mike Vassell, a junior, a right-handed pitcher out of the uh, state of Virginia, University of Virginia, excuse me. In the ninth round, they selected Levi David, a senior, a right-handed pitcher out of Northwestern State University. In the 10th round, they selected Keishawn Eskew, a left-handed pitcher, a junior out of Clemson. In the 11th round, they selected Rowdy Jordan, a senior, a right-handed pitcher, excuse me, an outfielder out of Mississippi State University. In the 12th round, they selected Jack Thomas Wold, an outfielder, a senior, out of the University of Las Vegas. In the 13th round, they selected Matt Ruddick, an outfielder, a junior, out of San Diego State. In the 13th round, excuse me, the 14th round, they selected Nathan Lavender, a left-handed pitcher, a junior, out of the University of Illinois. In the 15th round, they selected Wyatt Young, a shortstop, a junior, out of Pepperdine University. In the 16th round, they selected Trey McLaughlin, a right-handed pitcher, a senior, out of Fairfield University. In the 17th round, they selected Nick Zwack, a left-handed pitcher, a senior, out of Xavier University. In the 18th round, they selected Colby Kubitschek, 
a right-handed pitcher, a junior, out of the University of Texas. In the 19th round, they selected Drake Osborne, a catcher, a super senior, a five-year senior, out of the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. And in the 20th round, they selected Justin Guerra, a shortstop, a junior, out of Fairfield University. So obviously, the big name, the big fish here, was Kumar Rocker. And this is a guy that it still feels crazy that the Mets are able to get. This is a guy that was coming into the season considered the or one of the best pitchers in the draft. In some mock drafts, he was the first overall pick. And, you know, he did have a good season. There were some concerns about his velocity. Um, it backed up a few times over the course of the collegiate season. But the numbers were good. The stuff, you know, besides for the fastball, looked good. And just he fell to the Mets. And that was completely not something that anything was any of us were expecting. Um, I think we were all kind of settling for mediocrity. I, I feel like that's not a very nice way to put it, but you know, we we're all expecting the Matt McLeans, the Sal Frelicks, the Carlson Kausers, you know, guys that are solid players, but as we've said many times on, on the show, guys that are outside of that premium premium tier of players that are available. But lo and behold, Rocker fell to the Mets, and that is amazing. But obviously, uh, a player of his caliber is going to cost money, and he and the Mets already have a an agreement in place that um, he wants $6 million as his signing bonus, and that obviously is an overslot, will be an overslot deal. Um, the Mets' first pick has a slot value of $4.74 million. So the Mets are basically going to have to um go over slot by one point you know three million uh minimum and in order to get that extra money they did what they've been doing for the past couple of years now making the draft very top heavy and selecting lesser players in rounds um i'll, I'll say four through ten because in years past they did select guys, you know, Simeon Woods Richardson, uh, Isaiah Green, um, obviously Matt Allen a few years ago, um, Joshua Wolf. So, you know, the first three rounds are where the Mets have been doing the big damage, and then rounds four through the rest of the draft, however many rounds those respective drafts are, have kind of been lacking. So the Mets, you know, again, with a very top-heavy draft this year in selecting rocker i mean you can't pass all that obviously but it concerns me a little bit in that the met system is not very good um don't get me wrong there are a bunch of good prospects and there are a bunch of guys that have the potential to become prospects or become better prospects as the season goes on and, you know, 2021 turns into 
2022 and we started looking at all of this stuff during our off-season lists and everything. But, you know, f- watching these individual teams, the Syracuse Mets, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, the Brooklyn Cyclones, I won't include the St. Lucie Mets in that because they're the one team that's actually, you know, overperforming. But all those teams are under 500 by a very, very, very large margin. And part of the reason why that is is because the last couple of years, and even going back further, the Mets have not drafted particularly well. And, you know, engaging in this kind of draft again, where you have your big fish in your first round, they have uh, an intriguing high schooler that I'm, I'm assuming that they will sign in Calvin Ziegler in the second round. And then everything after that is just kind of... I'm not going to say leftovers, because... Uh, we'll we'll talk about it in a second. There there was a theme and a pattern here, but you know the the sele- players selected in let's say the fourth round through the tenth round this year, the third round through the tenth round this year were selected with the ability to not have to pay slot value or more in mind. So, you know, there may or may not have been better players. In terms of selecting those players, though, as we've discussed and as we will continue discussing, there was a theme. There was a common element with a lot of these players, which is good. It's what you want to see. You know, a lot of these players are guys that have spin rates that are underappreciated, I guess you could say, in, in college baseball and in drafting. Um, and obviously we know those things will come, you know, a good spin rate, you know, below, uh, above average spin rate, whatever, uh, will be useful as a professional. So it's good to see that the Mets had a plan and they were targeting kind of assets that you could say were undervalued, you know, guys with good spin rates or guys with one or two really good pitches, things like that. It's better than, you know, just the random selections of, the past where you would have guys such as Blake Tiberi or Matt Winokur or Quinn Brody, who, who's okay, but, you know, just uh, throw names like that. Guys that just happen to just be on the board still, and it seemed like that was the extent of the research into these players that the Mets um, drafting guys seemed to have done, was that they were still there, so hey, let's go get them. And obviously those players did not uh, work out. So it's it's good to see that there was a plan and, you know, maybe the Mets are not going to be adding the best possible talent that was available in a vacuum into the system in you know from rounds three till the rest of the draft, round 20. But they targeted guys that have things that you can like about them. So that is very good to see. Hello, everyone. This is Ken with From Complex to Queens, and uh, I'm going to share some of my thoughts on um, the Mets draft this year. So in general, um, I'm a big fan of the strategy that the Mets have um, employed the last few years in drafting, focusing most of their resources on the early picks um, at the expense of, you know, the, the deeper rounds of the draft. I think generally speaking, um, your resources are better, best spent up front with the more developed players 
um, then spreading around across, you know, the later rounds uh, and aiming for depth. I think you should be swinging for home runs early rather than, you know, singles across the draft, just in terms of personal preference. Uh, so let's start at the top. The Mets selected Kumar Rocker at uh, the 10th overall selection, and um, I couldn't be happier with that. I think he's definitely better than the 10th best player in the draft, and uh, ultimately the Mets didn't really have to go that far over slot to, to sign him, with uh, the team agreeing to a bonus signing, a signing bonus of $6 million, which is about $1.25 million above the uh, bonus pool allotment for the pick. So they didn't really break the the bank, and they got you know about as good a college pitcher as you're going to get. That's not named Jack Later. Um, so let's start with the reasons that um, led to Rocker still being available to the Mets at ten. He struggled in twenty twenty one with uh, consistency of his fastball, both in terms of velocity and uh, command. Basically, he um, especially during some of the College World Series games that he pitched. Um, he sat a lot closer, for stretches at least, he sat a lot closer to 90 to 92 than the 92 to 96 that you know people have grown accustomed to seeing from him, both you know earlier in the season and uh, during his first two years at, at Vanderbilt. Um, so it's definitely concerning, but ultimately, I don't know, I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about it, given that, um, you know, 2021 was a challenging year, and, um, you know, we've seen at the big league level the effects that not having a full season the year prior have had on, on pitchers being able to stay healthy and maintain their stuff. I can only imagine that that's considerably more difficult as you go down the, the organizational ladder to the college game. Um, I can imagine that not having a full season and a, a normal off season to ramp up might have played a role can also imagine he just faded a little bit, having pitched a very long SEC season. Um, again, I, I don't think that's anything too big to worry about, especially when, you know, knock on wood, but, um, you know, there's been no real talk of injury with him. So hopefully it's either something that will get worked out with a more regular training regimen um, or... It'll be something that the Mets can unlock given with a uh, mechanical adjustment or something. Um, now, there's still pl plenty to be excited about with Rocker. He's got easily one of, if not the best, secondary pitches in the draft with um, a razor blade slider that he throws in the mid-80s that features tons of sharp late break down and into left-handed hitters. Um, when it's going well, it's almost unhittable, um, as shown in his no-hitter against Duke in uh, the national championship game in 2019. Um, it was just comical watching him, you know, bust hitters down and in with sliders and them, you know, not coming within three feet of the ball. Uh, and the, as a freshman, <laughs> like um, he's been one of, if not the best player in his age group, virtually his entire life. Um, and in addition to the slider, he's also got a slower, a slower breaking ball that basically comes in, you know, five, 10 miles an hour slower than the slider. Um, that's a usable third pitch and also features a changeup that, you know, is kind of raw now, but has all of the makings of a future usable big league offering. When you put it all together, he's about as big league ready as you're going to find in the draft. And, um, you know, for a team that doesn't really have a ton of upper minors pitching, um, you know, pitching prospects that are, you know, to be excited about, 
Um, Rocker is a, a very welcome addition to that group. All told, when a player of this caliber is on the board, uh, when you're picking at 10 or later, you take him. Like, he's just too good to try to get cute. And uh, I'm glad that the Mets decided to pick Rocker instead of going with a lesser talent and trying to spread around money later in the draft. Um, so briefly, um, there are a few other players that I like and that the Mets chose. Um, the Ziggler pick I like, Cameron Ziggler, a Canadian prep pitcher out of um, TNXL Academy in Florida. He also fits the mold of, of a guy who, um, you know, maybe goes a little higher if not for you know, a weird 2020 season. Uh, he went undrafted last year in his first year of eligibility uh, out of Canada, uh, largely because, you know, COVID made it very, very difficult for, for scouts to see him. And, uh, you know, this year, uh, he also had a very weird year in that uh, the border between Canada and the U.S. was shut down for non-essential travel. So he basically moved to Florida and, um, you know, pitched there as a prep uh, for a year so that scouts could see him. So, you know, I think there's upside in terms of, um, he, he's already pretty good. He's got, um, a fastball in the, the low to mid nineties and, um, you know, the makings of, of a pretty good breaking ball, a slider or a change up that is, um, you know, to be determined, but, um, I think in terms of getting a guy who's a potential bargain because of the information available about him, um, I think the Mets did pretty well there in the second. Um, I also like their picks in the third, Dominic Hamill, a pitcher out of Dallas uh, Baptist University. Um, Yeah, Dallas Baptist has a great um, reputation as one of the the good analytical programs out there. Um, And... uh, Hamill clearly fits the bill of a um, a solid senior sign in terms of having you know one really good skill. He throws very high spin rate pitches, and um, I'm glad the Mets went back to the the Dallas Baptist. Um, well, having chosen, oh, I forget his name. Uh, I forget his name, but a pitcher who did not sign <laughs> in the 2019 draft. Um. So I'm glad they went back to that well and will hopefully sign their Dallas Baptist U uh, player this year uh, to see what, you know, Dominic Hamill can do. Oh, Nathan Jones. Yeah, that's his name. <laughs> uh, I also like uh, Mike Vassell a little bit. Their pitcher who they chose out of Virginia in the eighth round. Um, I saw him throw, uh, I think it was five innings or six innings for... Uh, the University of Virginia in one of the College World Series games. He has a fastball that sits in the mid to low 90s. Um, decent slider in the mid 80s that's more of a, a cutter and, you know, sometimes flattens out. But, you know, he'll, he'll snap off a, a few good ones from time to time. Uh, change up that, you know, is a work in progress. And uh, a, a half-decent curveball that um, features a good amount of spin and, uh, I think there's enough there where, you know, a few positive developments, you might end up with a, a decent back-end starter, uh, which is great value in the eighth round. I also like um, Levi David, right-handed pitcher out of Northwestern State that the Mets chose in the ninth round. Uh, just very fun profile. He throws a fastball 
in the mid nineties and pairs it with a, um, one of, if not the best curveballs in the draft, um, which, you know, if you're drafting a player who's likely to be a reliever at the next level, uh, you know, a good fastball and an elite curveball uh, is about as good as you're, you could hope to find. So picking him in the ninth round was also a nice surprise. Um, so, yeah, I'm, in general, I'm, I'm very, very happy with uh, the draft this year. I think Rocker at 10 was an excellent value. Uh, I think they chose a few interesting guys on days two and three, but... When you get a player like Rocker at the top of the draft, it's it's really hard to find faults with uh, the strategy because Rocker has the potential to be very, very good. He's probably going to be um, definitely a top five prospect in the Mets system immediately, probably a top three prospect in the Mets system immediately. And uh, when you can get that on draft day, that's that's a pretty good thing. So, yeah, in general, I'm a fan. So this draft, unless something unforeseen happens, like one of the guys in the 10th or 20th, 10 through 20 rounds or someone else who isn't Kumar Rocker pops, this is probably just going to be the Kumar Rocker draft. Um, name recognition, he might be the biggest prospect in terms of being famous. Like, that's not, not famous. He might be the biggest prospect. He might be the biggest named prospect for people who don't follow the minor leagues. Like, Brett Beatty is their best prospect, in my opinion, and he's their number one prospect, in my opinion. But outside of Mets fans and hardcore minor league people, I don't know how many people know who Brett Beatty is just because he's a third baseman. <laughs> like, Kumar Rocker was a superstar college pitcher. He was a big-time high school pitcher. And now he immediately is on the Mets, and he was a huge name, and he was a name that people talked about as the 1-1 one, one in draft years prior to this year. And even coming into the year, he had hype like that. And this year was... An off year, I guess, scout-wise, because he had a bit of issues with his fastball. But he was still an excellent pitcher. It's not like he was going out there and getting rocked every day. Like, he was dominant. He just had he just gave up more hits with his fastball than you would like. And you could fix that. And so I think what the Mets did was they realized that a guy was fell to them who shouldn't have been there. They pounced on him when they did. They were able to alter their draft process from the rounds 2 through 20 to afford him really it's not like they cheaped out like crazy they still took high school arms they still took people like that but rocker now slots in for me at three i know for stevie slots in at two but in in the mets top 25 so right away they have one of their elite prospects showing up and being one of the guys who is going to anchor a farm system that needs growing because it does. I mean, at, even before the, even if they, even if um, Brody Van Wagenen doesn't make the Kalenic for uh, Diaz and Cano trade, which is basically what it was, it's still not a good farm system because there's that's just adding Kalenic would obviously be a great deal, but it's still there's still a lot of haves and have-nots in the system, in my opinion, and Rocker adds to the haves that they need to be building regardless. So it's just exciting. I mean, the more I've watched Rocker, the more excited I get about him, honestly. I think his absolute bottom tier, worst case scenario floor is a reliever. And to say that about someone is, I think they're almost guaranteed. Like, I don't want to guarantee Mark Messier, we will win type of declaration about Rocker making the majors, but I would be shocked if he's not a major league contributor in some capacity. I think basically injuries would have to get to him 
the breaking stuff is too good, especially the slider. It's like, in my opinion, and this might be a hot take, but it's the best pitch, individual pitch in the Mets system right now is Kumar Rocker's slider. So just to have that floor from the build on is incredible. Um, and yeah, even if he's like a back end of the rotation guy, it might be a little disappointing because of the name, but also that's a fine outcome for 10 overall. Sometimes 10 overall guys don't even make it because of baseball and how much development has come in, has to come into it and how much outside forces there are. There's no, you don't take a guy 10 overall in the NFL and not expect him to be a contributor or a back end of the lottery pick guy in basketball and expect them not to be a contributor like those guys play. And baseball, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, is a totally different beast in that regard. But I think Rocker is a pretty safe bet to be a good player, to be a contributor at the major league level. And I think it would be relatively soon. Like, I don't want to say next year. I think that's fast. But also, if at the end of next year, he's ready to be a bullpen type arm, like a Adam Wainwright in the mid-2000s type guy before he started or um, something like that. Like, I could see that being a possibility or even, I think almost definitely, I would say 2023. But that's, even then, like, I feel like you could, that's hard to not get excited about. Just having a guy on the direct horizon who's um just another arm. You need five starters. And I know everyone knows that, but. The Mets rotation suddenly gets real interesting next year when Syndergaard, who hasn't even played this year, is a free agent and Stroman's a free agent. And Carlos Carrasco's another year older and hasn't pitched yet this year, even though it looks like he's going to come back pretty soon because he he looked pretty good in his two innings at, in Brooklyn. But and DeGrom is DeGrom, as everyone knows, but like you need two other arms and you need multiple guys and you need controllable guys like. Rocker slotting in and Allen, whenever he comes back, those two guys slotting in behind DeGrom would be a very nice trio. And as DeGrom falters, maybe like gets older and older and he's not going to be the best pitcher in baseball forever. As he gets a little worse and a little worse, then those guys get a little better and a little better. And there could be a passing of the torch situation between one of them. But that's also like the best possible case scenario is Rocker is an ace. But I also think it's a possibility. Um, but yeah, he's, it's hard not to get excited about him. And I know I, you, we could, the whole draft could be about him, uh, this whole draft conversation, because as much as it was kind of like a whispered possibility on, online and stuff, people saying, you know, Rocker could fall. I never really expected him to fall. I was getting all ready for the Colson Montgomery train or something like that, or Matt McLean. Like I was all ready to talk about them and then Rocker fell to them. But yeah, outside of that, I think the most exciting thing, and I think this is a cop out because I've liked, a few of the pitchers that they took on day two after Rocker for the second through 10 rounds or nine, I think. But like, I think it's really, in, I think the way that they've seemed to have changed what they look for in pitching is interesting to me. Um, they used to really, especially the Sandy Alderson Mets used to really just take the tall guys and, try to be make them power pitches and stuff like that and it constantly didn't work and they constantly got hurt and yeah for every Noah Syndergaard there's like five dudes who just don't throw hard enough even if they're six eight so like now it seems like the Mets really look at it in an analytical way which is good like which is what we've wanted as fans especially like at least fans at Amazing Avenue have wanted and I'm sure a lot of our readers and listeners and everything else too it's just they seem to have like they talked about spin rates on guys and they talked about 
they drafted a few guys who were like, oh, this is an internet spin rate darling because his curveball has crazy spin and his fastball has spin. And it seems like they really decided to look for other stuff rather than old school mentality scouting. And not to, to say the old school mentality scouting is 100% bad. I think you still need to watch these pitchers and I still think you need to get in-person looks, especially in baseball. Um, but also the numbers behind stuff matter too. I think you need to use them in tandem. And I think the Mets seem to have shifted into doing that. I don't think some of the pitchers that they've taken and from rounds in, in this draft, especially from the second round on, were like would-be guys that, old, that the old era Mets would take. But I think now that they've started to like really slowly beef up their analytics department, we see we're starting to see a shift in who they're drafting. And that got me excited more than any individual player, mostly because it just sets up the next few years. Like it sets up what next year's draft might look like. Like to say rocker is going to fall to them next year or a rocker like player is going to fall to them next year is you can't assume that. Like also you can't assume that they're going to do the Matt Allen stuff where they float a high school guy into the late rounds and realize they could take one. And like, it's, it's just, they kind of make a, make the steal of the draft. But I think they might, look towards pitchers who are doing this now who have the spin rate stuff because they realize it's effective. And obviously spin rate isn't King. There's other things that goes along with it. There's other things that make a pitcher good. Like just cause some dude has spin on his fastball doesn't make him a good pitcher, but it helps. I, like I would rather a guy have that than not have that. So, I mean the whole cheating scandal and what pitchers in baseball right now is getting your spin rate up because it makes you a little bit better. It's, it doesn't mean that you're Garrett Cole or Dave Jacob deGrom. If you have spin like that, because deGrom doesn't even have crazy elite spin. But it helps, you know, every little bit like that thing helps. So that's really what excited me about that. For the bats they took, I, JT Schwartz is interesting because he's like a, he's like a middle infielder bat with a first baseman's body and he's kind of have to play first base because of the injuries that he had, but he makes contact, but I don't know how good the contact is. So he's a dude I have to watch more, I think, just to get a glimpse of, like to really get it in my mind what I think about him. But like, the bats that they took, they seem to be focused on like speed defense type guys who like that's not the worst thing in the world in the in the middle rounds of a baseball draft because if that a guy ends up being a Luis Guillorme type who can play all over the infield or some even the outfield and hit a little bit from the bench, like that's super valuable not to have to spend three million dollars on it. And it makes the GM's job a lot easier not to have to find that veteran in free agency. And sometimes the veteran free agency gets a, has a bit of a better season because they pop. But also, you could save that money and spend for an even better veteran in free agency and not have to worry about that stuff. And also, that helps for call-ups and stuff because everyone gets hurt. It's 162-game season. People don't play 162 games anymore. Even the most durable players are going to get hurt sometimes. They might roll an ankle. They might. Lindor has been on the IL once in his career, and then he pulled his, he strained his oblique or pulled his oblique. I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. So, like, at the end of the day, you need that type of depth. And I think the Mets knew that because of rocker and because of where they are in the draft and probably because of COVID and probably because of how little tape there is on some of these guys. Cause a lot of them miss an entire season of their careers. Like it's easier to take a guy who has that floor of a speed defense type guy, because then if the bat ends up coming, it's a real good player. And if not, it's a utility player and you need that. So really the draft overall it's Rocker being who he is and being the type of name that he is and being the level of pitcher that he is is 
makes the Mets system, especially their pitching depth, a lot more nicer in the next few years and a lot more fun. And on top of that, the rest of the dudes they took are like spin rate darling guys who you, I, I give them a little bit more of a chance to pop than the, than the average pitcher. And then you have speed defense kind of guys who might end up being utility players and might end up being nothing, but I understand that type of sentiment when it's the 10th and the 12th and the 13th round and all that stuff. So that's really how I feel about this match draft, and I'm happy about it, mostly because the Mets drafted someone who immediately slots in the top three of their of their uh, prospect pool, and it could be going high, as high as two, and I wouldn't bat an eye. I don't know if I would rate him two. I wouldn't right now. But after a year under his belt next year, we'll see where he's at. But it's just exciting. Rocker is a Met, and that's really – the draft could have ended there, and I would have been pretty happy, <laughs> honestly, because of how 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 immediately high he slots in. He would have been higher than anyone else they took in that spot, in my opinion. But that's it. All right. Well, that is our show this week. And if anyone has any questions, comments, or whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. Thomas is at said Met Season S Z N. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.